Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, as Danielle said, we're in the last week of this series where we've been looking at the idea of reimagining how we relate to God. And over the last four weeks, we've talked about four different postures that we can either choose or fall into in our relationship with God. We talked about a life over God, a life under God, a life for God, and a life from God. And each one of those postures, though they're very unique in how they approach our relationship with God, they have this common starting point. Each one of them is an attempt on our part to gain control over the danger or the chaos or the trouble we have in our life, as well as to take control of the fear that often results from circumstances that are beyond our control. But this life with God posture that we're going to dig into today it departs widely from those other four postures because it accepts one simple truth. In our lifetime, control is an illusion. There is no amount of control that we can get in our lives that's going to be enough to ensure our safety. There's no amount of control we can get in this life that will eliminate all of our fear. So if control is an illusion, what is the alternative? Henry Nouwen was a Dutch priest, a professor, an author, a very profound thinker. And he was wrestling with his own personal relationship with God. And he came up with amazing parallels one day as he was watching a group of acrobats spin and fly through the air on the trapeze. While everyone who watches trapeze artists tends to focus on the flyer's aerial maneuvers... Now I notice that most fail to see that the amazing feats are only possible because the flyer has absolute trust that he'll be caught. Everything ultimately depends on the catcher. And now and then, pondering on that, wrote about the new understanding it gave him on this life with God idea. He says, look, if we're going to take risks, if we're going to be free in the air and in life, we have to know that there is a catcher. We have to know that when we come down from it all, we are going to be caught. We are going to be safe. The greatest hero is the least visible. Trust the catcher. Trust is the polar opposite of seeking control. It is, in fact, surrendering control. It embraces the idea that in itself, control is an illusion in our life. We've never had it. We never will. And rather than trying to overcome our fears by seeking more control, a life with God challenges us to surrender control. And surrendering, at least in my relationship with God, has proven to be one of the hardest things to do. Surrendering is only possible if we have total assurance that we're going to be safe. We have to be convinced that if we let go, someone will be there to catch us. All right? Uh, This life with God that we're going to dig into this morning is very different than the other four postures we've talked about because in the end, its goal is not to use God. It, It stops us from treating God like he's a device we employ or a commodity we consume. Instead, in this life with God, God himself becomes the focus of our desire. 
And the challenges in this are more than just semantics. It's not just about the prepositions being different in each of these postures. It's very, very different to live a life with God. It's been my experience that when I talk to most people about God, when I hear what they believe about God, they have a less than complete vision of who God is. And sometimes that vision is entirely flawed because they've been living in one of these other postures. I think, honestly, for all of us, even those who think we've got it, if we could just get a glimpse of God's unrivaled beauty, if we could just get a glimpse of His unconditional love for us, if we could see His untainted goodness, then it would be obvious to us just how much different He is from what we've always believed or what we've imagined. And I honestly believe if we could get that picture, it would help us want to desire this life with Him. Because from the first to the last page of the Bible, that is one of the through lines. It is God's desire to be with us in this life. If you take a look at the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis, the very beginning of time, you look at that and you go, God's desire was to walk with Adam and Eve. And he did. He walked with them. One of the passages there says he walked with them in the cool of the morning in the garden that he had created. It's just this beautiful image all throughout creation of God wanting to be with his creation. And the crescendo, crescendo of history, if you look at the end of the book of Revelation, celebrates our ultimate reunion with God in heaven. His final full being with us. Revelation 21 says, look, God's dwelling, dwelling place at the end of time is now among the people. He will dwell with us. And we will be his people and God himself will be with us and be our God. With us. I truly believe that this desire of God that's all throughout Scripture is the ultimate reason why Jesus went to the cross. He didn't die to inaugurate a new mission for us to fulfill. He didn't die on the cross to give us a second chance in this life. He didn't endure the horrors of the cross just to demonstrate this principle of love for others that we should emulate. And He didn't die just to appease God's wrath. Those are all true statements, but they are not the ultimate reason why Jesus died on the cross. He died because of God's unyielding desire to be reconciled, to be in relationship, to be with us. The cross is more than just a vehicle to rescue us from death. It transports us into the arms of life. The cross is how we find unity with God. It's not just a way to get people to heaven. It is ultimately a way to get us to God. A life with God is only made possible because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. He removed, Scripture says, the barrier of sin and death that separates us in that relationship with God. And He restored and healed our broken relationship through His sacrifice on the cross. Paul says it this way in Colossians, You were His enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. I don't know what your image is. I don't know what's in your mind when you imagine God looking at you. You standing in front of God 
physically present with him. But Paul makes it very clear what God thinks of you. Because of what Christ has done, you and I are blameless as we stand before him. We don't have a single fault in us that God sees. And we stand there in the presence of Jesus, just in the presence of God, just because of what Jesus has done. That's not just a future promise. That is a present reality in our lives. But sadly, many of us have never been taught how to live this life with God on our own. I was raised in the church. We didn't talk about this kind of thing. It just wasn't even in our language to live a life with God. And if we don't understand this, if we don't grasp hold of what God's desire is, we really run the risk of drifting or even choosing to go into one of those other positions. So this morning, what I want to do is offer you some ancient practices, some spiritual practices that can help us invite God into our everyday, ordinary life. Three practices that can move us from merely communicating with God on an infrequent basis to communing with God every moment of every day. The first of these practices, at its essence, is just an invitation to pray Scripture, to pray the Bible. Before the invention of the printing press by Gutenberg in the 15th century, most Christians did not have access to the Bible or it was very restricted. And even after the Bible was widely distributed in English, a f- very few people were literate enough to read the Bible and understand it. That means that throughout most of history, Jesus' followers had a very different relationship with God's Word than you and I share today. For us, we have it in all kinds of forms. It's multiple translations and languages. It's printed. We have uh, access on our uh, smartphones, on our tablets, on our computers. We have the Bibles readily available, and our tendency is to treat the Bible as it is, um, as it's a manual, as if it's a manual or a textbook. It's a document to be dissected and mastered, to be parsed and implemented in our daily lives. And while studying the scriptures intensely is a great thing to do, there is another way to read the Bible that invites God into our daily existence. It's worth considering this ancient practice. It's called Lectio Divina. It's a divine reading is a literal translation. In the centuries before the Bible was widely available, Christians would gather, often on a daily basis, in some public forum. They might go to the city center. They might go to their church if it was walking in walking distance. Or if they lived remote and secluded, they might gather their family together in the morning and do this practice as a way of inviting God into their day. So when they got together, they would just simply read the Scriptures, reflect a little bit, and then select a word or a phrase that they felt like God was speaking to them and carry it with them through the day. They would chew over it all through the day as a way of God, inviting God into their everyday life. Now you can research Lectio Divina on the web, and you can find all kinds of information about it and ways to practice it. But let me just give you one simple way to do this. If you're doing it at the start of the day, there's generally a good bit of chaos in our lives, Right? in terms of getting ready and and getting everything together for the day that's ahead and packing lunches. And if you've got kids at home, we haven't had kids at home for centuries, it feels like. Um, But we did have our daughter and her family with two kids live in our house for eight months. And I don't think chaos accurately describes what it's like 
to have two generations and two young kids in the house together. We saw that chaos. So if that's where things are in your life in the morning, then the best way to start this practice is just to stop and calm yourself for a minute or two. And then open the Bible to the passage that you were going to read that day and read it aloud. And it doesn't have to be like three or four chapters. It doesn't even have to be a whole chapter. It may just be a small section of Scripture, five or six verses or even one that you read. But as you read it aloud, do your best to focus on a word or a phrase in that passage. One that jumps out to you as if God is saying you need to hear this. So you read the passage aloud and then you pause and reflect on what you've read. What might God be saying to me here? And just sit in silence and breathe that in. You know, sometimes it's helpful to assume a physical posture. And uh, I'm assuming that's pop. Uh, There is, so I just popped a cold one in front. That is not a spiritual practice, but it's not a bad thing. Uh, You might just hold your hands upward towards heaven as if you're saying, God, I want to receive whatever you want to show me in this passage. And just sit in the stillness and reflect. After a few moments, when you're ready, turn your palms over and pray to God. And say, God, I'm letting go of all that. This is what I think you want me to hear. But show me if there's something different. Bring another phrase to mind, God. And in that reflection, you're just silent, waiting for what God might want to show to you. Forgiveness or acceptance or assurance or whatever it is. And then after a couple of moments, you simply then go on about your day. You take that phrase that stood out to you and you reflect on it all through your day. You chew on the meaning and you figure out in the course of the day a communication pattern with God to talk about that passage. Now, people do this differently. I had an aunt, my dad's aunt actually, so it was my great aunt. Her name was Carrie. And Aunt Carrie did this a type of this exercise every evening on her own. And it was widely known in the family and Carrie's practices. So she'd get ready for bed at night. She'd grab her bottle. I'm sorry, she'd grab her Bible. I'm getting there. She, <laughs> Oh, it's there. Hang on. She'd grab her Bible and a glass of wine. And she'd go to bed. And she'd sit upright in her bed and read her Bible and sip on her wine. One time she said to me, you know what? When I do that practice, I just sleep so soundly. (laughs) We never really knew whether it was the Bible or the Bordeaux, but it worked in her life. You might choose to do this in the evening. You might choose to do it as you start your day. But however you practice it, Lectio Divina, this focused on small segments of God's Word, can be a powerful, deep way to engage the Scriptures and help us commune with God throughout our day. I'm grateful none of my family lists listen to the podcast, otherwise they'd think I just accused Aunt Carrie of being an alcoholic. Um, The second practice uh, that helps us view prayer as communion, not communication with God, is this idea of praying without ceasing. It's what Paul said to the church in Thessalonica when he wrote that to them. 
It's a constant communion. It's a call to live as Jesus did in this constant connection with God. And as you read the Gospels, you sense that Jesus was in constant communion with God even when no words were exchanged. What's helped me with this is another ancient practice that's uh, simply called praying the hours. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, I've done this with a couple of community groups that I've been in. It's been a real help in our close connection to God individually as we've done this, practiced it together. So uh, here's what it looks like. Uh, You just recognize here are the hours that I'm typically awake, and you set an alarm on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer, if you're around your computer all the time, that goes off every hour on the hour. And you don't set this big garish like ringing and clanging so that everybody knows you're about to pray, you know. You just set this little silent thing. I usually put it just as a silent alarm. My phone vibrates and reminds me it's 10 o'clock. It's 11 o'clock. And you pray about whatever's going on in your life at that moment. So it's been kind of funny to me as I've done this. Uh, it's gone off at times when I'm in a heated conversation with somebody. And it's like, really, God? You know, I feel the phone vibrate in my pocket and I go, okay. Yeah, even while we're having the conversation, I need to invite God to be a part of this. I need to just pray. I don't have to stop and bow my head. I continue to engage. I'm just saying, God, help me. Help me to understand. Help me to listen. Help me to reflect Christ in this conversation. It's gone off when we've been at dinner with friends. And it just reminds me to be grateful to God for bringing these people into my life. It is just a simple practice. I don't do it every day. I don't want to give you the impression this is how I walk through every day of my life. When I do it, It's when I sense that I've been cutting God out of my life unintentionally. I just ignore him as I go through my day instead of paying attention to his presence in my life. It could very well be that it's just because I'm in a chaotic period of my life. And I just need to be reminded that no matter how chaotic he is, it is he's right there with me. In praying the hours, we remember that God is indeed with us. We belong to him And that he's going to stay with us no matter what we're going through. If you struggle, as I've heard some people say, I just don't know what to say when I pray. There are some simple things you can do to find things to say to God. One of the simplest is just to open up to the Psalms. There are 150 chapters in the Psalms. Each one of them largely is either a song or a prayer that David wrote to God. And so you can just read that Psalm and personalize it. And make it your prayer to God. You can do what most of us do when we have a problem we want to solve in our life these days. You can check out Pinterest, right? There are tons of prayers written on Pinterest that you could pray to God. And just hearing or seeing what other people have prayed can help us. There are books that are out. I got one this week as I was prepping for this message that just intrigued me. And it's full of ancient prayers of the church that you could pray. And it starts to give us a language of history that we can use to communicate with God. For example, one of the prayers uh, that I found this week is a great thing if you've got one of those hectic mornings going on and you just need everybody just to calm down and remember God's with us in this. You can gather your family together and read this prayer together as a way to start your day before everybody leaves the house. It's, may the peace of Jesus go with you wherever he sends you today. May Jesus guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. 
May he bring, your, bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring them home rejoicing once again through our doors. It's a beautiful prayer. Be a great way to leave the house every day. It's much better if you've got little kids to do something like that than it is just to yell at them, hey, did you get your lunch? It doesn't quite bring God into their day. But this would be a great way to just center the family before they leave the house of a day or center yourself. A third and final practice I'll suggest is called the daily examine. It is a very simple practice that asks us to think through our day at day's end. Some people do it at night. Some people do it in the morning, uh, thinking back through their last 24 hours. For me, when I do it, I tend to do it at night in bed when I'm slowed down enough that I can actually think through my day. And I can begin to ask God, where were you present in my day? Show me your presence all throughout my day. How were you beside me? How were you with me? And how would my day have been different if I had recognized your presence with me in every appointment, every conversation throughout this day? It's far more than a calendar review. We ask the Holy Spirit to show us God's presence. And at times... I'll even do some variations on this. You know, I'll walk through the fruit of the Spirit that's in Galatians 5, where Paul says if we're in a life with Christ, these things are going to start to be evident in our lives like a healthy fruit tree producing fruit. He says, look, you'll, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So I'll just pick one of those that I sense God saying, you need more of this in your life. And I'll go, great, God, show me, where was I patient today? And how did that change things? And by your Holy Spirit, show me where I was impatient, where I could have used a little more patience in my life. I want that to be evident. There's a lot of different ways you can do this. But the heart of all three of these practices is this. We want to recognize that God is already with us. Walking with us every step of every day. And these practices help us recognize His presence in our lives. Engage Him and be grateful. Now now hear me on this. I don't do these perfectly and I don't offer them to you this morning as a prescription for something you have to go do for your spiritual health. They are simply there to help us Commune with God every moment of every day. So pick one of the ideas. Try it. Adapt it into your life. Because the goal is a closeness with God. And this should only be viewed as a means to that closeness, not an end in itself. And if over time you're doing a practice and it ceases to be helpful, exchange it for another one. Find a new one. They're there to help us. These practices are to help us embrace the reality of God's love for us. They help us see that despite the dangers in our world, God has promised to see us through. And they help break those cycles of fear and control in our lives and help us surrender and trust in God. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Christ's birth, records God's beautiful promise to us in God's own words when he writes, Do not be afraid, for I've ransomed you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. So when you go through deep waters, 
just know I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you're not going to drown. I won't let you. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you won't be burned up. And the flames, they're not going to consume you. Don't be afraid, God says, for I am with you. It's good for us throughout our day, throughout our week, to just pause and remember and reflect on the fact that God is with us. And we need to find those safe harbors of silence to just pray and commune with God wherever we are and whatever's going on so we're not overwhelmed by the chaos that can surround us in our lives. And those moments of peace, they're going to help remind us that God is indeed with us, that we belong to Him, and that He's going to stay with us no matter what. If we have the courage to trust that He's with us, if we have the courage to let go of the chaos in our lives, He will catch us. It's up to us to trust the catcher.